Tell it to older men, but younger women, younger women, younger men, older women. See, it's not as if Paul is saying, hey, I don't want you to be verbally abusive with older men, but younger dudes, dude, you can harass those guys all day long. All right, you can totally nail them. Old, younger girls, as long as it's impurity, just deride them like crazy, right? That's not what he's saying. He says to older men, treat them as fathers. Younger women, treat them as sisters. Younger, younger men, treat them as brothers. Older women, treat them as mothers. And so he indicates that actually Timothy is not to treat everybody in the same way. He is to treat others different. He is to treat people, if the church is a family of God, then the way we interact with differing age groups is to recognize their God-given roles in that family. So this is why even though I'm a pastor, I'm a young pastor, some of you are my seniors, it's very common that I'll say, hello, Uncle so-and-so, hello, Uncle Bill, hello, Uncle Jim, Auntie so-and-so. I'm trying to recognize your God-given role in this community as somebody who is older and to be respected. It wasn't uncommon for my dad when I was a young boy. We would play together. And apparently I would do something that would cross the line. We'd be playing, and he would stop me in the middle of the playing, and he'd say something to the effect of, Son, I want to play with you, and I love you, but I'm not your friend like all your other friends. I'm your dad, and that's not how you play or speak to your father. For better or worse, what he was trying to do is he was trying to instill this principle in me as a young boy that my dad is my dad and I love my dad, but he's not a friend like my friend John Doe, my peer. He is to be treated with respect. Now, if this applies to the church leaders and future church leaders like Timothy, then surely it applies to the entire church. It applies to the whole body. So I would ask you by way of application, in what ways does your speech to older men or older women or younger men or younger women, how does it reflect this dynamic? How does it reflect this dynamic? So lead an exemplary family in your various interactions with differing age groups. Number two, Help the widow. We're going to spend a lot of our time here. Help the widow. Paul says, he begins this section, honor widows who are truly widows. Value them. Value them. This isn't going to be a sermon on age, although it is directed to people of age in these sections and people of youth and supporting people of age. But I just want to say to my brothers and sisters, as I said last two weeks ago, who are maybe a little more marinated in life, a little more seasoned in life, all right? Uh, for you guys who have been in the slow cooker a little bit longer, all right? I want to say our culture doesn't value age, it values youth, and Scripture's totally backwards, all right? Your gray hair is beautiful. It is a sign. It is a pillar. You have earned every one of those gray hairs, and they are a testimony of God's goodness and grace in your life. Praise God. Praise God for them, all right? You are like walking. I remember my dad grew up military, right? And so uh, this isn't in my notes. I don't know why, right? But my dad grew up in military, and he was an officer, and he would come in, and he had all these little things on his chest. I had no clue what they meant. They were like colorful stuff, right? And it was his rank. And we would come into big 
ceremonies, and the general, a general would walk in, and this dude's chest was like, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, and everybody is, you know, out of tension, you're like, you know, as a young boy, I don't even know what it means, but I know, wow, that guy is respect, special, and so it is with my older brothers and sisters in here, when you walk in, it shows you have gone through some stuff in here. And there is a respect that comes with that, that we younger ones should do a better job at reflecting as we interact and speak with you and value you. Scripture values you. That's what it says. Honor widows who are truly widows. Honor, value, treasure these people. These are gifts to God for us and great sources of encouragement. Having said that, Paul doesn't tell them to help every single widow in Ephesus in this manner. He doesn't say help every single widow that you come across in this manner. That is what he designed families to do, not the church. The church has limited resources. So in some instances, there are those whom the church is to help and take under their responsibility, but he gives some directives here because in large portion, this is what God created families to do, to care for widows and those who cannot care for themselves. And so Paul lays this out here because apparently there were, what was happening in this place is there were some widows who were taking advantage of the widow care, who had other means of support, and it was a burden to the church. And there were other widows who needed the support of the church and weren't getting it. And so Paul gives a list of qualifications, if you will, of who to help a widow in need, a true widow. And what Paul's instructions for the church are, if there is a widow... And if she has family, whether it be children or grandchildren, she is not to be abandoned by them in her old age. She is not to be abandoned by them. They are to care for her. They are to learn godliness. So for followers of Christ, this is what this means. For us in here, to care for aging family members is not optional, but is an integral and necessary demonstration of our faith and godliness of our faith and godliness. You ask, remember 1 Timothy 4, train yourself for godliness. You remember that? So you ask, well, what does it look like to train myself for godliness? Does it maybe look like going to a monastery? Maybe spending hours in meditation? Going to seminary? Being a missionary on the front lines of the mission field? Selling all that you have? Perhaps, but not necessarily. Caring for your aging parents? Absolutely. Absolutely. He says, this is pleasing in the sight of God. Isn't that what you want? Don't you wake up and you say, man, I want to please God today. That's, that's our prayer. I want to, what does it look like to please God in my season of life? It looks like for some of you, caring, or actually all of you, sooner or later, caring for your parents or grandparents. This is pleasing to God. How encouraging is that for some of you in here? Some of you are in the season of life right now where you're, in, where you're having to care for your aging parents or grandparents. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're tired. Satan may whisper in your ear this idea that, man, this is keeping me from real frontline ministry. But know this, know this well. God is pleased with your sacrificial love and care. 
You don't have to go to the jungle of the Congo. You don't have to go to Africa for frontline ministries. This is frontline ministry, caring for the widows in your family, caring for those who cannot care for themselves. Be encouraged. God is pleased with you. He is pleased with your effort. Paul goes so far to say, even in verse 8, whoever does not provide for members of their own household, for their relatives, can utter whatever verbal affirmations that we are Christians, but by our actions, it is a denial of the faith, and we are worse than unbelievers. Wow. Is that not a sharp admonition? In other words, This type of behavior is unacceptable for followers of Christ. Why is this? Why is it that it is unacceptable? One reason, there's many, but one reason, if you just look at Christ, because he left all of the comforts of heaven. He left all of the authority that was his with his father. He humbled himself, emptied himself by becoming a servant, taking the likeness of men to serve those who by nature could not serve themselves were utterly helpless and destitute. How could, our, how could his followers not do the same? And was not our Lord Jesus the supreme model of this? Even on the cross, you remember? Jesus hanging on the cross, one of his last words was for who? His mother. John, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. Care for her. That's what he's saying. Care for my mother. Is not Jesus this example in all things? In suffering, about to take on the wrath of God for the sins of the world, and he's not too busy to stop and take care of his mom. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus is our example. Now, application. What are some side applications for this? Parents, Parents, I'm going to talk to younger parents first because we want to nip some of the root issues of this before they grow up into bigger ones to where we are not helping old people in our older age, right? Parents of children still in the household, which is me, right? So I'm preaching to me. We can be sometimes focused on getting our children out to high school or into adulthood and then be done with them. But I want to encourage you to take the the longer view. So take the longer view of their life and consider how you speak to your children. Think about this. Consider how you speak to your children. If you often find yourself snapping at them out of irritation or responding in harshness, When they're not doing something you want them to do, let me ask you this. Please know, or what do you think their response will be to you in your older age when you're not doing what they want you to do? So you are actually training your children now on how you respond to them, how you want them to respond to you and others when they grow older. So you can highly expect... And this is what I'm trying to look at my son, all right? You can highly expect that when the day comes that your body breaks down in your old age and you need them to care for you, and that day will come if Jesus does not come back, that they will respond to you in the ways they have been trained their whole life. So it's a good rule of thumb. Consider speaking to your children and correcting them 
and their mistakes and shortcomings the way you would want them to speak to you one day when the roles are reversed. So what widows fall under this umbrella of responsibility of the church, right? So these are, all right, so families, you guys have the responsibility, primary responsibility to care for your loved ones who are aging and without help and care. So what about the ones of the church? Who does the church take on? One, widows who are truly widows. That is, those who are left all alone. They have no family, no husband, no parents surviving, no brothers, no sisters, no children, nothing. Or those who have been abandoned by their families for their faith. Those who find themselves, because of their profession of faith, have been disowned or abandoned. If she has set her hope on God, that's to say a Christian, a believer, and if she has demonstrated that faith in fervent prayer and love and good deeds. Those are the people that we should look at as a church and say, we have a responsibility to care for them. We have a responsibility to love for them. So I encourage you, look through your directory. Do we have anybody in this church like this? Do you know if we do? It might be important to find out so we might obey this command and find ways that you can come and be their brothers, their sisters, their sons, their daughters in the faith and support and encourage them. Now there's more application to be made here because see, in our age of social security, life insurance, disability income, retirement benefits, nursing homes, and on and on and on, the application of this command may look different than it did back then. However, if physical finances are not needed, then there remains an obligation for emotional love and care. Emotional neglect is not an option. There are more needs that we have than just financial. So consider, consider how you may stir one another up onto love and good works for this. Now, I fully understand that this command may ring difficult on the ears of some of you. Why? Because some of you have maybe deep-seated, deep-rooted, long-standing hurt and pain from your parents that they inflicted in their younger years on you, and that stays with you. So now the thought that I have to care for them in this old age, and that if I don't, I'm worse than an unbeliever, can sound very sharp. Sound very sharp. If this is the case, I want to encourage you, as a believer and follower of Christ, as an agent of reconciliation, every attempt should be made by you to heal that relationship and demonstrate the radical love of Christ in their older years. Now, some situations I fully understand and I'm aware are going to be complicated and may alter or affect how this plays out in practice, but the general principle applies. Honor widows who are truly widows. You may need more counsel on that, and if you do need extra, you can talk to me later, Um, but the situation is the same. Help the widows. Number three, be helped by the widows. So help the widows. Be helped by the widows. Commentators are split in this next section, 9 that runs out the rest of this section, 9 through 16. Commentators are split. Is he saying, enroll these people that I just spoke about, put them on the list? Or is he talking about a separate group of widows that is enlisted to help the church and serve the church in their remaining singleness? 
Commentators are split. I'm going to go with the second option that says Paul is now shifting gears and not talking about these truly widows that the church is to support, but he's going to talk about a group of widows that is going to help the church and what qualifies them. So that's where we're going to work through in this section as he outlays or unfolds qualifications of these lovely ladies who help the church. Now, what he's saying, if that's the case, is that although our culture is drifting away and seeing senior citizens or those older in life as losing their usefulness, losing their value because they cannot contribute, Paul says, no way, no way. You are of great value and extreme importance, and you can have great deals of impact for the kingdom of God. I wrote, just as the sunset, right? You guys have all seen sunset at Wailea or uh, the west side. Just as a sunset, a vibrant, gorgeous sunset, paints pictures and colors across the sky. It is at times, at times, it is more breathtaking to see a sunset than to see the sun shining at full strength. And so also you, dear brothers and sisters, who are later in life or in the latter years, you can leave behind. If you are intentional and purposeful, you can leave behind an absolutely stunning portrait of the glory of Christ for those who follow you, for those who follow you to see and rejoice in. You have a massive and very valuable role to play in the life of the church. So Paul lays this out here, that there are implications uh, of this for the church and for senior widows. There's also implications of this, all right, just in case you're like, man, I'm not a widow. I'm not even, I'm a, I'm not even close to being a senior, right? I'm down here in my 20s or 19. Okay, okay this has value and implications actually for everybody in here. I want to try and unroll this for you right here, all right? Here we go. His requirements. Here's what his requirements are for widows who serve in the church. Number one, she's got to be at least 60 years of age. At least 60 years of age. So she's got to be a spring chicken, all right? Number two, notice the construction. A wife of one husband. What does that sound like? The qualifications for an elder and deacon. Husband of one wife. This must be a wife of one husband, which means she was married, or when she was married, she was faithful to that covenant marriage. Number three, she has to have a reputation for good works that precede her. Her reputation precedes her age even. Number four, having brought up children. Having brought up children. Number five, known for hospitality, that the welcoming of the stranger. Number six, wash the feet of the saints. She's humble. This harkens back to Genesis 18. You remember when the three visitors came to Abraham and he welcomed them into his tent and he fed them and, and he had their feet washed by Sarah. Number seven, shown care for the afflicted and oppressed. And she's devoted to good works. Now, why do I say this has implication for younger women? Why do I say that? The reason is because in order for this be, to be descriptive of you and your older age, it has to be descriptive of you and practiced by you now. Your reputation is to precede your age. And so, these things are to be practiced by you now. Now, if you did this, please understand, all of these things, this whole list, 
is totally, totally, for a young woman in here, is totally countercultural to our egalitarian feminist society. Every one of them. Let me, I'll just start with, I'll give you a few. Faithfulness to your husband. Faithfulness to your husband. A wife of one husband. I mean, for the first time also, there's a bunch of firsts in history, by the way. For the first time also, single, sorry, unmarried couples living together, having children, for the first time outweigh married couples living together, have children faithfulness? I mean, this was just celebrated this past week as feminists were trumpeting the victory of finally women are liberated from the patriarchal system of marriage. This is countercultural. Or verse 10, having brought up children. Countercultural. Children? Wait, you mean like plural children? I was just going to go for 2.5. 2.5 children, that's the average uh, I hear all the time from people, oh, you have a boy and a girl, you're done. Says who? Why would I be done at a boy and a girl? I'm going to drop this bomb here, and we'll unpack it another time, but it's worth dropping now, and my prayer is that the Spirit uses it on you. I'm just going to drop this, all right? So, so take it, and God, would you work on my brothers and sisters here, remember, we are more impacted by our cultural upbringing than we realize. The environment that we grew up in, the, the mindset of the world that is ingrained in us from the time we're, we're in grade school impacts us more than we realize. There's a saying, and it says, a fish does not know it's wet. Right? You're just swimming in this environment. You don't even know that it's different. My... thing that I want to challenge you in this morning for women and young families is that the area of children may be one of those things. Maybe one of those things. See, if we maintain that children are a gift from the Lord, like I preached last Sunday, we had 37 preschoolers up here, it was great, it was fun, it was wonderful. If we say that children are a gift from the Lord, given at His initiative and at His directive, let me ask you this, is it a biblical mindset to take that initiative in our own hands and limit our ability to receive God's gifts through various medical procedures? Is that a biblical mindset? In effect, to say, you know what, God, I know how much of a gift of this that I need from you, and I don't want any more of these gifts. I have people to ask, that ask me in prayer all the time. They ask me to pray for gifts of God. Things that are good and that should be prayed for. Finances, since I'm struggling. A health, because I'm sick. A job, so I can provide. Patience, peace, love, joy. All these prayers are that God would provide unlimited and indefinitely. For example, I have never had anybody come ask me for prayer anywhere and said, would you pray that God would help me with my finances? That he would give me some money so he can provide my needs? But... I don't want any more than $30,000 a year, okay? Any more than, than this much money. And if you give it to me more, I'm going to give it back or I'm going to quit that job. I've never had anybody do that. I've never had anybody say, Lord, bless my marriage, but only for five years. After that, the annulment is up and you can go downhill from there. We don't do that. Or, hey, I'm sick. Would you heal me from this sickness? But just 
for five years, and after that, bring on Job, right? Afflict me, baby, right? Come on. I want to be afflicted. No. We pray, Lord, heal me. Heal me. And I would prefer never to get sick again and to die in my sleep peaceably if possible. Right? These are our desires, not bad desires, good things, but we pray an unlimited, without end in every other area or gift of God. And yet, when it comes to this area of children, which are also a gift, we say, I only want one or two. And just in case, God, you think otherwise, I'm going to ensure I can't have any more. There's a lot more to be said on that. So I said, I'm not going to unpack it entirely. Some of you in here... I have no doubt maybe have had procedures of this nature. I'm not saying that everybody should be the next Duggar family. Not what I'm saying either. What I am saying is that it's possible we've gone too far to the other end of the spectrum and that we may be like that fish that doesn't even know it's wet. Children are a gift from the Lord and to be valued and cherished. Like I said, every single one of these is radical in its nature. To our culture. All this to say, if you want to be a godly woman in this culture, it starts in your younger ears for your reputation to precede you as you show that your hope and your treasure is in Christ alone. Now, the remainder of this passage is going to be written directly to younger widows, and it is also applicable to all people, both men and women in the church. Especially those who, for one reason or another, find they have excessive time on their hands through various means, whatever it is. Now, what was happening is apparently there were some husbands uh, or who had died or who had possibly been martyred for their faith, and their children were grown and self-supporting and out of the house. And so the things that used to take up the time of these women for most of their lives were now gone. And they found themselves with a lot of time. They weren't a wife. They weren't a mother any longer, or they were, but their children are out, they're doing their thing, and now they have lots of time. And Paul encourages them, and sometimes they would have vowed to spend the remainder of their singleness, the remainder of their years, in service to the church. Now what would have happened, and what was happening, is that their passions in time were stirred. And younger widows would abandon this vow and marry which isn't wrong unless you made a vow to stay single. Scripture places a high priority on vows you make to the Lord such that it says it's better to not vow and not pay than to vow and not pay. Scripture places a high premium on the things we say, so it's not wrong unless you vow to do otherwise. Or even worse, they would remain single and they would use their singleness and their time and they would begin to not build up the church, but to tear it apart with their tongues as they went from house to house, gossiping and meddling in things that were of little concern of theirs. It's striking that Paul would actually say that there are things that Christians should not say and speak about. He says, saying, going about from house to house, gossiping and speaking about things they should not speak about startling. Our culture, our media, it blasts news of other people's actions all over the place. Everywhere you go, you see it, right? Internet, so-and-so did this, the Kardashians did this, and whoever does this, right? And on and on. And this appetite for news has even sprung up in 
taken place in the church, and this should not be. Paul even characterizes this behavior as straying after Satan. As straying after Satan. He says, don't even give the adversary an occasion for slander. Unfortunately, seniors, the widows, in Paul's time were known for talking about others and spreading rumors with their free time rather than actively serving the church and guarding their tongues. That's not, that doesn't happen today, right? That doesn't happen today, so we can just skip this section, right? We're done. No, right? Of course this happens. This has been a struggle throughout the church for all of history. So if you find yourself as a widow or as a widower or as a retiree or somebody in a new season of life where you have lots of time on your hands, I encourage you, keep a close watch on your tongue. Keep a close watch on your mouth. Why? Because it is a powerful thing. And it can either bless or it can destroy. Purpose in your hearts. Purpose in your hearts that you will use your time not to speak about others, but to speak to others about Christ. To encourage the body. Satan is always seeking an end to the church. You don't want to be the one to leave the door open for him. May it never be that we serve the church with our hands and destroy the church with our mouths. Now, those who have practiced this, and there are those who have practiced this in every church, those who have practiced this and may be guilty of either gossiping or maybe our younger size here who may be guilty of not caring for your parents as you should have, and you're just now learning this and feeling a little bit of condemnation, I want to encourage you, this letter is not to be read forgetting chapter 1. It's to be read in light of the whole you remember 1 Timothy 1.15. I love this, right? The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So if you feel that condemnation, if you feel that little bit of guilt maybe for how you've acted or behaved, I want to encourage you with the gospel. The Lord is patient with you. If you found that you have sinned, then God came to save sinners. Praise God. That's why you're here, that you can be reformed and changed and renewed and cleansed and follow Christ. Because the aim of our charge is love. And she's from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. So I want to encourage you, live an exemplary life and lead an exemplary family and be that exemplary family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace in Christ that you are patient with sinners. We thank you that you not only are patient with us and take your time with us, but that you actually change us in the process, that you love us and move toward us. We praise you that the only words spoken over us from your Son are words of forgiveness. Lord Jesus, I pray that if there are any men, women, young ladies, children, Lord, who are convicted over something, that your spirit would bring that to bear and bring them to repentance and change us, that this church might become that group of people who are passionate about Christ and that truly lead exemplary lives and radical love for others. 
May we honor widows who are truly widows, and may you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now is the time of invitation, and I'm going to ask if anyone would like to have prayer about anything. I'm going to be in this room to my right and your left. I would love to pray with you and for you. God bless.